How's everybody doing? Great. We doing all right this morning? Oh, goodness. Are we doing all right this morning? Oh, good. That's so, so glad to hear. Goodness, it's the middle of July. It's, it's, not, it's not time for that yet. So, um, hey, can we just, before we do anything else, excuse me, can we just take a minute and thank Jenna and the, and the worship team for leading us this morning so well? So... If you, if you don't know me, if I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to you yet, my name is Brendan, and I'm actually the regular week-to-week worship leader here. So it is so nice, you guys, so, so nice um, to be able to just be here and be led and be able to just sing. I realize that I kind of run into an issue, though, because like if I sing really loud for like a good you know, 20 minutes to start out with, and then I have to do this, this could get tricky at some point, but God willing, this will be just fine. So... Um, so here's the deal. Um, thank you guys again so much for leading us. Um, I wanted to mention this too. This was not a part of my notes. I just wanted to say this. Sometimes this just says Vivitech on it. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you've noticed that that happens sometimes. Um, that is nobody's fault back there. That is my fault entirely. Okay. There's some stuff wrong with our, our equipment. We're getting it fixed. We're going to move past that. But when, if, if, and when that happens, you're looking for that next lyric for the verse or whatever, and you don't know it, and it says Vivitech, and that's not like helpful, then that's, that's because I messed up. That's not anyone back there. I just want to clarify, Lizzie's doing an incredible job back there. Thank you, Lizzie. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. So um, here's the deal. Um, pastor John's not here. Um, he's he's the, our campus pastor here at the Center Church. David is not here. Blake is not here. Um, Brian is not here. I'm here. So here's, here's how this works. We just get to do whatever we want this morning, and they can't do anything about it. So this is kind of just how this morning is going to work. Um, I have the opportunity to be able to teach this morning. They keep throwing me that that opportunity and I keep accepting. So here we are. And by the grace of God, go I. So um, here's what we're going to do. We are diving into actually a brand new sermon series starting this week. It's called Fragile Faith. We just watched the bumper video for it. Um, You got to see maybe a little bit of what that's about. Um, But basically what Fragile Faith is, um, is it's just a series that comes from the heart of Pastor John and some of the rest of people um, on our teaching team, Um, just out of a heart to see more faith in our church, in our communities, in our families, um, and in our lives um, that actually lasts, faith that stands the test of time. And um, how many would say this morning, just as we get started, that sometimes faith can feel like a little shaky, it can feel a little fragile. It almost feels sometimes like it's this thing that we, we love it and, and, we, and we need it and we want it, but it's, it's kind of this thing we just, we, we hold like this and we hope nothing bad ever happens or we hope, you know, a certain storm doesn't come or a certain bad thing in our life doesn't happen because if it does, we might, might drop and it could shatter into a million tiny pieces and we have to guard and protect it. See, here at the Center Church, we believe that God's designed faith to actually work differently than that. Um, we believe that faith should work like this. It should be something that guards and protects us when the storms of life come, when things that are difficult happen, um, and that we can be hidden safe in our faith in a God who loves us, who cares about us, who cares for the intimate details of our life. And that's what fragile faith is about. So we're going to do three things over the next few weeks. We're going to explore three different shifts um, from one kind of faith over here, the sort of fragile, breakable, doesn't last Um, to a different kind of faith over here that stands the test of time, that holds up under pressure. This is in no way, just realizing, a Jenna and Alicia thing, by the way. Um, I'm just, we could flip this and it would work the same way, right? So two different kinds of, um, 
two different types of faith explored over the next three weeks with these three different shifts. I have the responsibility of bringing to you the very first shift that we're going to make from religion to Jesus. So that's the, that's the shift that we're going to be making this morning. Now, to do that, we're going to jump into the 23rd chapter of Matthew. So if you've got your Bibles with you, electronically or otherwise, um, go ahead and grab those a minute today. We're going to dive into Matthew chapter 23. We're just going to read the first 12 verses. Um, a lot of you just went 12 verses, just the first 12 verses. Well, okay. So here's the deal. Find that and I'll set the story up a little bit for you. Give you a little background for the story. So here's what's happening in the lead up to what we're about to read. Um, Jesus is just um, traveling with his disciples and he has just come to a town called Jerusalem, which if you don't know, it's the capital of Israel. They're coming into um, the town together. And this is shortly following a story that um, we call like the Palm Sunday story. Who knows, who knows a Palm Sunday story? If you're familiar with the Bible, kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, this is a story where Jesus and his disciples are coming into the town, making their entrance, and people are laying down palm branches for them to walk on. And everyone's yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And people are laying down these palm branches um, for Jesus and his disciples to walk over. Um, and what happens, here, here, here's the interesting thing. This is, it's a little controversial, and I'll tell you why. The first reason um, that it's controversial is this. Um, they're literally saying the word Hosanna, which can literally be translated Savior. And to be totally frank and honest with you guys, there just weren't, not everybody was on board with Jesus that way yet, if that makes sense. Great dude, great teacher, um, good guy, says a lot of good things, not God, right? So by saving, saying Savior, they're kind of ascribing that to him, right? It's controversial for a second reason. The second reason is this. Even if he was the promised Messiah, even if he was the people that the people of Israel were waiting for that was supposed to come and deliver them um, out from under Roman rule, he was coming at it entirely the wrong, wrong way. Why? Because he's coming into town wearing the clothing of like a carpenter, so basically rags, almost nothing, just tattered clothing, with his 12 friends, and he's riding on the back of a donkey. See, like the people who were expecting a Messiah, people who were expecting a savior, we're expecting something different than what they were watching happening right before them. Jesus, or their Messiah, was supposed to be a war hero, a conqueror, someone who was going to come with power and might and strength and political sway, and he was going to be able to free people from under Roman rule, and Jesus was not fitting with that. But here's the deal. I, I love everything about Jesus in that sense because he's constantly doing stuff like that. He is the king of the controversial. He literally every single time he's expected to do one thing, expected to go one way, talk to a certain type of people, say one thing. He comes way over here and he does the exact opposite. And I absolutely love it. He just does it over and over and over in the Bible. Um, it's one of my favorite things about Jesus. And so that kind of is what leads us into this passage. Um, have you found Matthew 23 yet? Okay, good. You've had a lot of time. If not, we should probably get you one of those Bibles with like tabs and go that direction and you'll be able to find things a little faster. So if you haven't found it yet, it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Let's read it together. This is the NIV. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be very careful to do everything they tell you to do. But do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they, do, they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see, 
They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now we'll pause. You know what phylacteries are? Okay, so you, here, here's what phylacteries are. Basically, here's, <laughs> it's a little weird. So it's a little wooden box that people put little scripture verses in and then you tie a rope to it or like a strap to it and then you like strap it to your head or your arm. That's, that's a real thing that they were actually doing back then. So you might have a coffee mug at home with like a, like a deer and a stream and like a little tree and it says, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, my Lord, that, that sort of thing. You might be that level holy. You're probably not phylacteries level holy, okay? And so I, I just read this and I think I need to get on their level, on that spiritual plane where we're talking about phylacteries, okay? So they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Moving on. For you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who will exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who will humble themselves will be exalted. Now, before we do anything else, can we pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. We give you thanks and praise for all that you are, for all that you're doing here um, in and through our church. Um, God, today as we open your word, as we dive into what it is you have for us, we, again, we just ask that you would open our eyes, help us, help us to see, help us to see you clearly, and help us to understand what it is you're trying to speak to us this morning. Let it penetrate deep into our hearts and let us live and leave changed because of it. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you a story real quick. I grew up in, in kind of like a larger church and we had kind of a larger youth group as well. Um, and with that, um, I loved, I loved my youth group. We had an awesome, awesome youth pastor. I mean, just awesome. He was like one of my favorite people ever. And we had, um, I had so many friends in youth group. In fact, I was homeschooled. So basically all my friends were in youth group. So like that's maybe that's why I love youth group so much. But um, I, I just loved it. And youth group was great. But one of the things I remember the most about my youth group experience was all the adult leaders that we had involved at the time. Um, and when I say adult leaders, they're kind of like they're really cool to me because they were like kind of like that, you know, young 20s, college age sort of group. And for a high schooler, I don't, I don't want to speak on behalf of you guys. I don't, at the time, for myself, that was really cool to get to spend time with them and hang out with them. And they're awesome. And they did everything. They helped us lead worship. They like helped lead small groups. They served in all these different areas. They, they, they went to camp with us. Like they took time off work to go to camp with us. It was just sweet. Um, and I remember just like as I was preparing um, for this today, I remember just thinking about all those specific names that influenced me in my life. Because these people were, I mean, they're like spiritual icons to me, borderline idols to me. Um, I, I wanted to be them when I grew up. So I wanted to just write their names down so I could just kind of think through the list of people and um, just, just look at their names. Now I wrote their names down and um, there are 10 specific names that I remember writing down of adult leaders um, that were in my life at the time. And I realized as I looked at that list of 10, about three of them, I, to my knowledge, are still Christians today in the sense that they're like plugged into church and they're, you know, um, like publicly confessing Jesus like Christians today. The rest of them have just kind of wandered. Um, for one reason or another, they've, they've walked away from the church and they've kind of, they're just not really connected anywhere anymore. 
and I was thinking about that, and um, I, saw, I found this study. So Barna Group, um, and Lizzie's going to throw this up on the screen here. Barna Group, which is a Christian research organization. If you haven't heard of it before, I can give you the resources to find these sorts of things. Super, super, super interesting resources um, just to kind of look at and um, to check out. They did a study in 2016 around, and they polled um, a bunch of American people. And the study is around the percentage of Americans who identify today as Christian. Now, this stat might surprise you because it says right here, 73% of Americans actually do identify as Christian. Again, might be kind of surprising because we live in a day and age where Christians sort of mourn the loss of a Christian nation that was. Does that, does that kind of make sense? We, we mourn the loss of like, man, we were founded on these Christian principles. If we've, we've just wandered so far. We've wandered so far from where we came. Um, and people sort of are sad about that. 73% of Americans actually identify as Christian. That's like three in, three in every four people you meet on the street, almost. Now, the interesting thing, 20% don't claim any faith at all. That includes, but is not limited to, atheists and agnostics, if that makes sense. So it includes atheists, people who, who just, just say that they don't believe in God or they don't know if you can believe in a God. But it also includes people who are just kind of like vaguely spiritual. Maybe they're interested in God, they're interested in Jesus, but they just like don't like really claim to be a Christian. Right, the smaller percentage there, six percent would claim like another faith, so like Islam, Judaism, um, Buddhism, that sort of thing, and the smallest percentage there, one percent, just simply say they're not sure. So, I, th I think that's pretty interesting, right? The seventy-three percent claim to be Christian, and possibly even more than that would claim to know Jesus or or be interested in Jesus. Um, that seems like a giant number. That number gets cut to less than half when asked questions about actually regularly practicing their faith. Questions like, Do you, have you gone to church in the last six months? Things like that. That, that number actually gets cut down to about 31% of Americans. Now, I'm not trying to scoff at that at all. I think that 31% is awesome. That's really exciting. In fact, I'm really happy for those 31% of people who have found Jesus and are putting it to practice in their life and they're doing something about it and they're invested in a church. But what about the rest of that 73 plus percent? Guys, my heart aches for the rest of those people who know Jesus or want to know Jesus, are interested in faith or were interested in faith at some point, but somewhere along the line, they just kind of lost the plot. Like their faith fell apart on them. Something didn't work out. Something didn't stick. And at the end of the day, they just kind of ended up walking away from the church. And I'm, as I think about that, I, I, I just, I have to ask, like, what is it? Like, what, what's the problem? What's the disconnect there? Why, why is that reflected in the study? Interestingly, I, I mean, I, I tend to find it very interesting that the gap doesn't say they walked away from, the, from faith entirely, or they walked away from Jesus, or they walked away from God. And so what did they walk away from? Well, they walked away from us, right? I mean, they walked away from the church. I mean, when they, when they get asked, they still claim to know Jesus. They just kind of walked away from us. So what's the problem then? I would argue today, I would submit to you today that it's not Jesus, it's never been Jesus. The story of the gospel has never stopped being compelling. Throughout ages and ages and ages of human history, the gospel has been one of the most interesting, compelling stories in all of human history. But what has been increasingly uninteresting to people is religion. 
and hypocrisy specifically. So we'll move on to this. This is another study done by Barna. Again, if you want to get a hold of this, just ask me after church. I can send you this stuff. It's really, really interesting. So this, this is another poll. So when Americans were asked what the biggest barriers to faith were in their life, more people answered Christians are hypocrites than any other answer. Now, if you look at this, I know this is substantially smaller than I thought it was going to be. So just bear with me. I'll, I'll explain this to you. The top answer on there is actually, I have a hard time believing that a good God would allow so much evil or suffering in the world. Great answer. Probably is another sermon idea for another day, right? That's something we need to talk about more. The answer right below that, Christians are hypocrites, actually pulls higher than any other question or any other reason besides Gen Z. So basically a way you could interpret this is every single person today over the age of like 18 would say that Christian hypocrisy is the biggest barrier to their faith. Christian hypocrisy is the biggest barrier to their faith. People that otherwise would be interested in God, in Jesus, in coming to church. Christian hypocrisy is the biggest barrier to their faith. But the previous statistic remains. The overwhelming majority of Americans remain interested in God, interested in faith. But here's, here's, what, here's what honestly scares me about that statistic, that we live in a country right now where millions and millions and millions of people statistically are interested in God, interested in faith, want to know Jesus, want to come into relationship with him, um, thousands of which, by the way, live in the neighborhoods surrounding our church. Um, but we have created such a mountain of BS as the church and as hypocrites, religious hypocrites, that it's prevented people from finding God here. And here's the scarier part, is there might be people in the room that are more offended that I just said BS in church than that there are thousands of lost people in the neighborhood surrounding our church. So that scares me a little bit because I think we need to care more about that and I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at in this story. Because we, I mean, we, we look at, I mean, we look at the story. Just, just picture this. Jesus comes, comes into this town. Um, and the first thing the Bible says he does is he comes into the temple. And, then, and he starts, and he starts, basically what he walks in on is extortion happening in the church. Um, there are religious leaders that are selling overpriced animals in order to make sacrifices to cover their sins. Um, it's a little bit complicated, but the, the long story short, people are being taken advantage of in church, in God's house. Jesus walks in, he flips the tables, tables over. And the Bible even says he goes over to like the benches they're sitting on, and he just kicks those over too. He said, no, not, not in my father's house. On top of that, he comes in and he gets up in front of everyone and he just starts teaching. He just starts teaching. And on top of that, everything he's teaching is going directly against everything that the religious leaders were already teaching before he got there. So I just want you to imagine for a minute what that might feel like. Jesus, Jesus, like, let's say someone walks in that you've never seen before in your life, just walks in this door. And a lot of you are looking now like, is that about to happen? It's not about to happen. But I pray it's not about to happen. <laughs> someone walks in this door and just goes, you know what? And they just start flipping stuff over, flipping tables over, flipping chairs over, telling everybody the way they're doing things is wrong. On top of that, they jump up here with me and they just start teaching. And they start teaching something different to what I'm teaching. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying things like, hey, uh, religious leaders, um, you need to know that actually prostitutes and thieves are going to find their way into the kingdom of God before you do. Before you do. Um, and on top of that, um, God is going to take, if you want to, this is the Bible. Okay, so Matthew 20 through like 23. Go ahead and read this. This is real, true story. Jesus says, uh, religious leaders, I'm going to take the kingdom of God away from you and I'm going to actually give it to some people who are going to start bearing good fruit for the kingdom. 
And really everything you're teaching, all the laws, all the, all the, the structure, the, the rigor, the tassels, the phylacteries, all that, um, can really just be boiled down to two things. Just love God and love the people around you the way that you love yourself and take care of people. And I, I just think about that. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this story is he's looking out and he's seeing all these people who have been hurt and broken and abused and they're, they're struggling and they're walking through all kinds of different difficult life situations. And he sees church people turning them away, turning them away, not, not, not interested in them, not welcoming them in, judging them. And, and he said, these are, these, are, these are children of God that my father loves dearly. And this is just all wrong. This is just all wrong. I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get at in that story. So here's a question I want to ask us today. Is that us? I want, to ask, I want us to all ask ourselves that today. Is that us? So we aren't exactly like the priests, right? Because we're not priests. I'm not a priest. No one in this room is a priest, right? That, to, to my knowledge. There might be a priest in the room. I don't know. But we're not priests. Right? We, don't, we don't like wear tassels on our garments. We have no phylacteries. We don't have these like high um, liturgical spiritual practices that we're doing in here. So it's hard to like connect ourselves to what these religious leaders are doing. But I wonder sometimes if that's us in a different way. Are we doing things like that? Are we, doing, are, are we guilty of other things? Like are we living lives that are filled with gossip? Um, we just can't stop talking trash about the people around us. Are we living lives full of judgment for other people based on the color of their skin, what they believe, who they voted for, what they think, what they post on Facebook? Or are we even neglecting to love and to serve those that Jesus called the least of these, the hurting and the broken and the marginalized that are living in our communities and we're doing nothing about it? Even though Jesus says, when you do things for the least of these, you do them for me. I just wonder if we're guilty of that. And now, I, here's the deal. Like, I, I don't necessarily know that we're all unlike the religious leaders when it comes to that. Now, here's the deal. On July 14, 2019, I'm not trying to sit here and just make you feel all awful and then, like, you can go throughout the rest of your day. I'm planning on enjoying the sun today. I'm going to a pool later. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring the mood down in this room, okay? But what I am trying to do is let us all know that it might be okay just for a moment to, to just sit in under the weight of that. Um, and that might be, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're feeling a bit convicted. Maybe you've been in a situation where you feel like you've played the role of the Pharisee. You've played the role of the religious leader. Um, and maybe you've even blocked people out um, that would have otherwise come in to the church. Um, but as I was thinking about this, Here's, here's what was kind of interesting to me. As I was thinking through this, um, I don't necessarily know that that's how I would identify. I know that I've been guilty of that before, yes. But as I was thinking about this, I, I couldn't help but think, maybe, maybe it's not so much that I've built up barriers to keep other people out, that I've set religious, high religious standards so high that, and, and I don't even keep them myself, that um, I'm blocking people out. Maybe my hypocrisy is just my apathy. And I think that that could be the case for some of us today. I know, I know that it is for me, maybe it is for you. Maybe you can relate because I think in 2019, our hypocrisy can look a lot like apathy. Just general indifference towards hurting and broken and lost people. Not that you would actively keep them out, just not that you would care enough to go out and find them. And that's kind of what I wanted to get at 
just for the next few minutes here. I think it's so easy. It's so easy in 2019 to just get so comfortable in church. It's so easy. We can just sit here and we can be so comfortable and we're surrounded by friends and family. And I'm not knocking any of that. That is the glorious thing about the church, the local church. But it's so easy to let that just be it, to just be comfortable, to kind of turn inwards and we just sort of stop caring about lost people, people who are hurting and broken in our communities. Again, I'll point this out again, people in our neighborhoods that are interested in Jesus, that would like to find their way back to him, um, but for whatever reason feel cast out or rejected by the church. So um, I wanted to bring up the very next verse. Um, the verse that immediately follows the passage we just read. So it's actually Matthew 23, 13. It's immediately following what Jesus just said um, to the religious leaders he was speaking about. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven, of kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. I just want to look at that second sentence. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. God, forgive us, help us, if we have been found guilty of shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And again, maybe not actively, but passively, through our apathy, we've closed the door. We've closed opportunities um, to maybe reach out and to speak to someone who you know is in your life, who lives just down the road from you, who you work with, um, who's in your family, that is, that, that is searching for something that you today as believers know is God, but have chosen not to share that with them. And I, and I just couldn't help but feel so convicted by that. Um, I want to tell you another story, um, and then we will close here shortly. But um, I wanted to tell you a story about NowGen. So a big a, a part of my job is to lead worship here. Forgive me if I'm a broken record, because I think I bring this up every time I preach. But part of my job is to lead worship. The other part of my job here at the Center Church is to work with our student ministry. Um, it's the blessing of my life. It's been the highlight of the last three years for me. I absolutely love it. Um, but I just remember a couple years ago, um, our now gen, which is what we call our student um, ministry here at the Center Church, um, our leadership team consisted of two people, myself and uh, my good friend, Ashley Title. Um, and that was it. We've got some other great adult leaders now, which is awesome. Um, but it used to just be the two of us. And I remember sitting down just a couple years ago and praying and looking over what God um, would want or will for um, the next few years of our student ministry and what, what God wants to do um, in and through us. And I just remember having this overwhelming feeling inside of me that we needed to start and pr start praying, asking God that he would bring us hurting, lost, and broken kids students. And I'm telling you today that I have never in my life experienced such an immediate and specific answer to prayer in my whole life um, because he brought them. And it didn't look exactly the way I thought it would, um, but kids from broken families, kids with a lot of hurt at home, um, kids with parents who are in and out of the picture of their lives, um, kids that are um, struggling with things that are infinitely harder than anything I had to struggle with as a Christian homeschool boy growing up, you know, just tougher things. And th the crazy thing is like, 
as we, as we started to step into that, we start to see God begin to heal some of those students' hearts. And here's the crazy thing. It's like in my mind, like in youth pastor brain, like I think like they're all just going to come to youth group. They're all going to immediately accept Jesus and they're going to take it home and parents are going to get back together and everything's going to be perfect. And, and, you know, all the sickness is going to disappear. And, um, you know, students that don't have that, that have like a violent home life, they're not going to have to deal with that anymore. Um, and really, as you all probably know, because you're wiser than me, it doesn't really work like that. But God is still moving in that. But I think it started with this. It started with us asking God, would you bring us students, um, maybe that don't get told I love you every, every night before they go to bed or every morning before they go to school. Um, students that don't have their daily needs met in their lives. And guys, I praise God for the students that we have in our youth group that come from great home lives um, with parents who are together and, and raise them in the church and raise them in love. And, and, I'm, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for my own parents who raised me that way too. Um, but I, I just, I feel, I felt the need to say how important that is to step out and ask God um, to introduce some brokenness into your life so that you can actually do the things that he's calling us to do, to be his hands and feet in our community. We talk about that all the time, but I don't know how often we actually want to take steps to put that into practice. So I'm going to invite the, the band back up here. We're going to just worship here um, again in a minute, but I wanted to close with this. So how, how do we change? How do we move forward? How do we do a better job of this? And again, I want to just say, this is so important for me to say, I'm in no way speaking from a place of like, I'm not trying to be like self-righteous here. I am the guiltiest of all of some of these things, of overlooking um, people that need to know the love of God, who apathetic in my attitude towards lost people. I, I, I get it. I really get it. So this is just as much for me as it is for everyone else in this room. But I think there are some steps that we can take. One, I think we need to ask God for forgiveness. I think we need to say, God, if I have missed opportunities that you've specifically put um, in my life to be able to share the gospel, share the message of your son with somebody, and I have by apathy, disobedience, um, disregard, overlook that, I'm sorry. Um, second, I think we need to lay down our apathy. I think we need to lay it down and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it like that anymore. I'm not interested in, in an apathetic approach to faith um, or sharing faith anymore. Um, because I think about the, the, those adult leaders in my youth group that I had growing up, um, I think they had a faith that was very much built around having a fun youth group, a big youth group with a band and a cool youth pastor um, who had tattoos. And it was like this whole thing, right? And that's what they fell in love with. They didn't fall in love with the God whose heart breaks for lost people, for hurting people. And I think when your faith is based around, when your faith is based around not religion, not the practices around going to church, but for Jesus, then our heart can only break for lost people. So lastly, um, I want you to think about this and then, and then I'll close with this. Who needs to be here today that's not? And I don't mean, you might have a friend that attends here and just isn't here today. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about people in your life that you've thought before. And I know that a lot of you probably have someone in mind because I know I do right now too. But who needs to be here right now that's in your life, that's hurting, that's lost, that's broken, or even flip it. 
has no idea what they're missing in their lives. They think they've got it all together. Things feel great, but you know, you know that what they're missing in their lives is God and they're looking for him. Who is that person? And how can we invite them in to faith? And I don't just mean invite them to church next Sunday. That'd be a great first step. Invite them to church next Sunday. But I mean something even harder than that. How do you share your faith with them? How do you share the ways that Jesus has changed your life with them? And then then use that as a way to show them to the foot of the cross, to the feet of Jesus. Um, I'm gonna pray today and then um, we'll sing and then we'll close after that. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so, so, so good to us. We just thank you for the ways that you are moving again in our church. Um, Father, we ask for something new today though. Um, God, we step out in faith and ask for a new sense of urgency, boldness, um, passion for the lost. Those among us who are hurting, who have been cast out, who've been broken, maybe who've even had a bad experience in the past with the church. And maybe that's not, uh, maybe that's even why they're not here today. God, I ask that you would, as your, as your people call out to you today, I just ask that you'd give us strength and boldness and courage and wisdom. Fathers, we step out and we reach out to those around us who are hurting and who are broken. God, we ask that um, we could just be a part of what you wanna do here. Lord, we believe you wanna bring people in Byron Center to you, people who are far from you, near to you. God, we're asking just to be a part of what you wanna do here um, in our community. So we pray all this and we ask all this in your holy and precious name, amen.